I am fantasy and paranormal romance author Leslie Penelope, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello friends, today is Sunday, December 3rd, 2023, and this is episode 228 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. As a reminder, you can sign up for the Footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, along with inspiration, strategies, and ideas to help you grow as a writer. And all of that is available at myimaginaryfriends.net slash footnotes. When you sign up, you can choose to become an imaginary best friend for a few dollars a month, which gets you access to the premium posts. These are long-form craft essays, as well as discounts on my courses. And in 2024, I will be adding additional benefits to the premium tier of the best friends. Um, There's going to be workshops and tutorials that are only available to best friends. So sign up there at myimaginaryfriends.net slash footnotes. This week's best thing... A lot of things happened this week, but I did see the first draft of the cover for Daughter of the Merciful Deep, and my eyes just were like bugged out. I showed it to a few trusted people, and basically the reactions were, whoa, whoa. I did request some changes, and so, um, which are going to be happening, but I'm so excited about how it's going to turn out. And the first draft I saw, like, it was stunning. It really blew me away. So I'm very hopeful about the final version. You know, as authors with traditionally published books, we don't get control over our covers. Um, I've been very, very fortunate with covers. And I think the trend is continuing. So I think that, you know, the elements that I saw really bring out the story and it's super exciting. Over on my other podcast, Ink and Magic, which I co-host with Inez Johnson, we've been talking about um, the Side Changeling series by Nalini Singh, which started in 2006. And uh, back when whitewashing covers was perfectly reasonable and fine. And several of her covers have characters who are described as dark-skinned, brown-skinned, dark brown-skinned. And the person on the cover is not at all. Very light, white-presenting. And, you know, we've had a few conversations about that on uh, episodes, like the episode we just recorded, but episodes for books four and five. We've just finished uh, book five in the series, recording-wise. It's not coming out for a couple of weeks. But the quibbles that I've had with covers thus far, including this one, are really just about skin tone. Like, no one's ever tried to whitewash any of my covers. But I've asked for characters to be darker several times, uh, just because especially like with The Monsters We Defy, which is an illustrated cover. You know, it was a brown-skinned woman originally, but I was like, colorism is a theme in this novel and she needs to be darker. <laughs> I did the same with um, Cry of Metal and Bone, where Lizvette, just a few shades, like I wanted her just to be deeper tan. She's not dark-skinned by any means, she's light-skinned. And many people read Earthsinger Chronicles and assume that the characters, the Elsirians, are white, which is a fine assumption to make because the default is white. I mean, it's fine in that it doesn't bother me, but in my mind, I just wanted it to be clearer that the character was a deeper tan and everyone with red hair and freckles is not white. I've made this point before. So yeah, I did have some feedback about the cover and they were receptive to it and there's going to make some changes, but like every other element was just really wonderful. So Daughter of the Merciful Deep comes out in June of 2024. It is available for pre-order. I will put the link in the show notes. And whenever the cover is available for uh, a reveal, you will hear it here. 
first or maybe second, depending on sometimes they don't tell me when they reveal the cover. But as soon as I know, you'll know in the next, in the very next episode, or if you're on my newsletter, you may hear about it sooner, either of my newsletters. So I have an author newsletter and the footnotes newsletter. Other writing updates. So we're in December, which means November is over, which means NaNoWriMo is over. And I did not complete NaNoWriMo. I might have if I counted every word written during the month. I mean, I'm sure that I wrote 50,000 words last month. But in the manuscript of the book that I was working on, the new draft, I did not complete it for a variety of reasons. One being receiving copy edits back for Daughter of the Merciful Deep, which I had to turn around in under two weeks. And they were very intense, really took all of my my brain capacity, but I actually completed them in like five days. Like I just sat down three, four hours every day. I wanted to do it in big chunks because you have to kind of hold the story in your mind to be able to, be able to answer all the questions and their questions, just minute detail. Um, I think I used the word gobsmacked once and the copy editor was like, well, this is a chiefly British word. Are you sure you want to use it? And I have... Um, I have a character saying, I don't usually curse in this podcast, so if there's small children around, I'm going to say a curse word. (laughs) I have a character saying, no shit, Sherlock, which I looked up, and there is some evidence, according to certain sources, that people were using that term in the 40s. This book takes place in 1935. I was fine with a little bit of anachronism. Copy editor looked it up, and whatever source she was looking at said the 60s. And so I, I, I looked it up again, and I was like, all right, we don't know. The, per- the the source that I used didn't give any sort of bibliographic information. I couldn't verify it, but I really wanted the character to say no shit, Sherlock. So I kept it. But it was a lot of things like that. Then it was things like, well, Jane, what days does she work? Because shouldn't she be at work? It's a Friday. And I realized I, in a previous draft, I had said, oh, she only works three days a week. But in this draft, it didn't make it in for some reason. So some of it was, I mean, all of it was actually really helpful. And I loved the level of detail, even though it was an intense level of detail for the copy edits. But I'm 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 sure the book is going to be so much better. Back to Nano. Doing that meant I had to take uh, the Nano book largely off my plate, aside from the live write-ins that I was doing. I did take a week off of Brutal Fortress, but I'm still on track. I'm going to be finishing that revision this week. And my goal is to get it to the copy editor by the end of next week. So yeah, at the moment, I have like seven or eight scenes left to write. Now, these are scenes that by and large do not have first drafts because when I got to the first draft, the end of the first draft of this book, I was lost and demoralized and I just wrote like very short sketches, but it's been going really well. The revision of Brutal Fortress. I feel like I'm jumping around a lot. I'm sorry. Um, this past week has been going really well. Back once again to Nano. Also, the problem with Nano, aside from copy edits, was at the midpoint, I realized I had the plot that I had prepared or planned was not right. I had already written some of those scenes. I had shifted and moved some things around during the drafting. And I was never quite sure what the dark moment should be, and I was never quite sure what the big third act sort of battle should be, because I was in a battle with myself about the nature of this book. I wanted it to be a cozy fantasy, not like a gritty, dark fantasy. Well, not dark. I don't think I write dark fantasies, but the original idea for this book, oh, these many years ago, like I I had the idea for this 
I don't even know. I have to look, look up what year it was, but it was five or six years ago. And I wrote a draft or part of, yeah, I wrote a whole draft of it. And it was like much darker. And when I say dark, I just mean it's about these half demon warriors and they were actually battling demons. And it was a lot more action adventure on the page. Um, that kind of, let's call it gritty and not dark. And then when I came back to the idea this year, I decided I wanted to write a cozy fantasy with lower stakes and quirkier and like more like um, The Undertaking of Heart and Mercy by Megan Bannon, which I adored, and in that vein. And the story doesn't really want to be that, but I want the story to be that because I'm tired. And I wrote Daughter of the Merciful Deep, and it was my brother calls it my darkest book. I still struggle against the idea of writing dark books because it's not. When I just finished reading it for the copy edits, at the end, it's very joyous and ebullient and like, it made me feel light when I was reading it at the end. But to get there, you do have to go through some things. And it was, I've talked about it being a difficult book to write before. So I hesitate to call it dark. I am interested to see what readers think. Um, but it was a difficult book with some difficult topics that the characters go through. Anyway, I wanted light, fluffy, quirky, bright colors. I wanted Pushing Daisies. Now, if you think about the TV show Pushing Daisies, which was one of my inspiration watches when I was preparing to write this NaNoWriMo book. It's bright. It's got that 1950s aesthetic, which is what I was going for in this book. And it's got the bright colors, kind of technicolor but it's about death and it's about people dying in horrible ways and the main character being able to bring them back to life for 60 seconds to find out how they died. So it's tempering the darkness with the bright and the technicolor. And that was what I was trying to do. And it was an experiment. And I was honestly, I knew at the beginning I was forcing it. Forcing things rarely works for me because the book will rebel. And this book rebelled and it doesn't want to be that. And I want it to be that. And I still want it to be that. And I can't finish it right now because I have to make peace with myself and my story before I am ready to accept the inevitable, which I will eventually be ready to accept, but not quite yet. I'm still being stubborn. So I hoped to finish in December. I'm not going to take another stab at it until after I turn in Brutal Fortress to the copy editor which is December 15th. And then we'll take another look at the book that is currently called. Okay, this is how you know <laughs> that I was forcing it. For these many years that I've had this idea, this book has been called A Murder of Omens. Omens are these half-demon, half-human warriors. They fight demons. And I came up with the time, the name Omen and thought it was really cool. And so the collective noun was a murder, like a murder of crows. Then in this new, fluffier, quirkier version, I was like, no, we're going to have a different collective noun, and it's going to be called An Optimism of Omens. And it was based on this idea of this scene that I wanted to have, this conversation when my main character discovers these people are omens, and she's like, well, what are you called? And they didn't have a name. They didn't have a collective noun. So they go through different options. And I was like, an optimism of omens, because that gives you... <laughs> And I read a list of collective nouns, and optimism is one of them for something. And it might have been made up. I don't know, but I thought it was cool. I've always loved the title, A Murder of Omens, and I still do. And it would be a shame not to use it. That is what the book wants to be. 
it doesn't want to be an optimism moment. But I'm not ready to let it go yet. I will be one day, I suspect, because this is not working the way it is. <sighs> one day I will stop being stubborn. But overall, I'm not upset about failing NaNoWriMo. I've made my peace with that, at least. You know, I could, once upon a time, I would have stubbornly just kept writing, tried to just push my way through. And I'm not doing that anymore. That's done. I'm tired. <laughs> Maybe it's finally admitting I'm middle-aged. I don't know. Whatever it is, we're not doing that. We are trying to take better care of ourselves and admitting when things are going wrong and preparing ourselves. <laughs> I'm talking about myself in the royal we. To, uh, to make better choices. So, totally serene about that. I did want to talk about 2024. So in this last month of 2023, I have been thinking a lot, and even before now, because it's only December 3rd, but I have been thinking a lot about what I want my 2024 to look like, how it's going to be, you know, going through huge life transitions and all of that. What do I want to be putting out into the world? And so this week, I have gotten a lot of messages about that. And there's this quote that really stood out to me by Elizabeth Gilbert from Big Magic. And I don't know where I saw it in some sort of article I read. The quote is, create whatever causes a revolution in your heart. And that has really stuck with me. And I think that's going to be sort of my mantra going forward in 2024. What am I going to create that causes a revolution in my heart? Because it just goes back to, you know, the idea of, doing the work only you can do, sort of living in your purpose. But in this AI world, in this world that's flooded with content where attention is at a premium, where people could be doing anything with their time, why should they pay attention to me? And I believe it's because I'm doing things that I think are incredibly important and that light me up and that I feel called to do. So I was today, this morning, making a list of those things, because I have lots of ideas. I have lots of things I want to do. I was like, oh, I want to do video essays. And I want to, and like, but what, what are these things that are causing a revolution in my heart? And so I'm going to try to, you know, do the work in public, live out loud and say, these are the things that I'm hoping for in 2024. These are the things I'm starting to plan for and put things in place to create. I want to do an interview series. This podcast has made it to 228 episodes with, I believe, two interviews total, and one of them was with my brother. <laughs> but I have an idea, finally, after five years. Um, and I really do want to talk to people, to other authors about this idea. So I will be starting an interview series in 2024, and I think I'm going to call it Imagining Success. That's the working title anyway. And that is really lighting me up. That is really giving me a lot of energy, and I'm very excited about that. More on that soon, obviously. Stay tuned, stay subscribed. Another idea that I've had for over half the year is something that I'm calling The Practice, which probably would live on the Substack, um, the Footnotes newsletter. And I, I wrote down, it's like a book club for life, like for habits. So my idea would be kind of doing personal development things like trying to create new habits. So doing something for 21 days and documenting it, being accountable. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know exactly how it would materialize in the world. But the ideas I wrote down were things like, you know, meditation, sleeping strategies, journaling, gratitude, um, reading essays, poetry reading, and like being inspired by these things. So 
is it 21 days of reading a poem a day and journaling about it or 21 days of doing some sort of movement every day or whatever it is. I don't know, but that's kind of lighting me up too. The third thing I wrote down was meditations for writers. And I'd kind of wanted to do this during NaNoWriMo, but I never got myself together to do it. But I, I had one of the first writing classes I took as an adult when I went to the Muse Writer Center. So 2008, um, I got married, moved away to Norfolk, Virginia, and started taking writing classes at the Muse, which is one of the reasons why I'm writing right now. And I think the very first class I took was one called Meditation for Writers, because I had been interested in meditation since right after college. And, you know, I've been meditating on and off since then for the past 25 years. I've been doing a lot of meditation using a program called Insight Timer. And I was thinking, oh, I want to do like write-ins where we do like 15 minutes of meditation up front and then we write. And I didn't do it for Nano when I was doing the write-ins, but I do think I really want to do that. And then the fourth thing, which is an idea I had when I was on my last solo writing retreat, was hold a retreat for meditation and writing. So have, uh, go to like a retreat center and we would meditate and write just in person and then have someone come in and do like massages and do yoga. And I think that would be really cool. And so I'm just putting these things out there. These are things that are causing a revolution in my heart that I would like to create. And um, I'll have to, you know, think more about them, prioritize, think I figure out how I'm going to do things and not be overwhelmed and still do all the other things that I need to do or figure out what else I need to cut in order to make space for these new things. But this is my working plan for creative output that is not new books in 2024. And maybe the retreat is not a 2024 thing, but maybe just planning for, or maybe it is, I don't know. But yeah, that is my my, my hopes and my goals and the things that I'm very interested in doing. Finally, uh, I've mentioned Juno Diaz on this podcast before. I took a week-long workshop with him in 2013 that was extremely transformative. I just discovered he's on Substack. I had no idea. It's relatively recent, a couple months old. And reading his posts is like being in person with him. Like you can hear someone's voice so clearly. It's just the exact way he talks and teaches and it's lovely. So I highly recommend it. I haven't gotten through many of them yet because some of them are long, but the ones I have read have just been very inspiring. So it's Juno, J-U-N-O-T.substack.com. Link will be in the show notes. And yeah, I encourage you to check out his, his work. So that is it for me for this week. Goals for the coming week. Finish Brutal Fortress by next weekend. I have a schedule and a plan, and hopefully it will not fall apart, but I still have some extra padding on the other end of it because I do want to go through and read it again one more time all the way through to, you know, fix any things that I left hanging and forgot about (laughs) and do some more planning for these other ideas that I have and try to figure out how to bring them into the world without being completely overwhelmed and hiding away from them. (laughs) I have a lot of energy right now. I'm feeling very good right now, even though I'm actually kind of sick right now too, but I feel like good and bad at the same time. Anyway, those are the goals for the week. And I hope that you have a wonderful week and I will talk to you the next time. For episode show notes and to sign up for the Footnotes newsletter to get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriends.net. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. You can email me at podcast at lplp.com 
and I would really appreciate a rating or review to help support the show. My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash